Hello, I'm Zev Newirth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a consumer-oriented, value-based, and humanistic system of health. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. Folks, the focus of this interview is on a Greenfield project that has been kept hidden and under wraps for a number of years and is only now being revealed and deployed. And if I'm not mistaken, this is one of the earliest interviews, and I believe this is the first podcast interview on this project, which is called Project Fulcrum. Project Fulcrum was launched in the spring of 2018, that's about three years ago, by the CEO and senior leadership team of Advent Health, one of the largest healthcare systems in the country located out of Florida. And the purpose, and I'm quoting here, the purpose of this Project Fulcrum, quote, to disrupt its legacy provider business model with consumer-driven innovation, end quote. I just want to say that again, so this is not lost on anyone. This is a project launched by the senior leadership team of one of the largest healthcare systems in the country with the explicit purpose to disrupt its own business model using consumer-driven innovation. I can't tell you, if you can't hear the excitement and enthusiasm in my voice, you got to turn your volume up a bit. Before we introduce our guest, who I'm so grateful for uh, his taking his time to speak with us today, I'm going to make a request of you. If you listen to the podcast and you find value in it, I'd like you to share it with your colleagues. So very specifically, here's what you can do. As soon as you're done listening to the podcast or the next time you see one of our social media graphics on LinkedIn or Twitter, I'd like you to share it with uh, three colleagues. Or if you want, just blast it out to your listserv or your LinkedIn account. I've heard back from a, a number of you over the past couple of months, and I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to help spread the podcast and spread the word on creating a new healthcare. And I just want to add this, that we've seen an increase of literally over 1,500 listeners to the podcast in the past couple of months. So clearly what you're doing is working. Please, please, please continue it. I can't tell you again how grateful I am for you taking the time to do that. So let's get on with the podcast. I'd like to welcome our guest today, Nicholas Archer. Uh, Nick Archer is the CEO of Project Fulcrum. In this role, he leads a cross-functional team of leaders from brand experience, banking, retail, and healthcare to build new products and new experiences for patients and healthcare customers. He has held various leadership positions at Advent Health in strategy and in finance, most recently serving as the VP of finance for network development and post-acute care. In this role, he supported the establishment of preferred provider networks, joint ventures, and strategic transactions. Nick serves on the board of United Against Poverty and Andrews Memorial Hospital in Kingston, Jamaica. He has also dedicated his time to Junior Achievement and the Community Hope Center. Nick earned a bachelor's degree in finance from Oakwood University and an MBA from the University of Florida's uh, Hugh Graduate School of Business. In his spare time, he enjoys time with his sons, cycling, and CrossFit. Nick, I just got to say, you're like perfect in a different <laughs> world. I mean, we, you should be like on a dating game if you weren't married. I mean, you're like a perfect catch. I, I just you're too kind. You're no, too I'm, kind. Not, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not at all. I'm just. I'm being truthful. And by the way, I've seen you on video, so you're good looking on top of it. So seriously, I'm just so glad you can spare your time. I know how busy you are. Before we dive into the project fulcrum, can you give us a little background on Advent Health? A little bit of a thumbnail sketch. Yeah, so Advent Health, based uh, here in Central Florida in Altamont Springs, 
uh, national healthcare company. A large share of our operations uh, in the Florida market, really spanning the I-4 corridor from uh, Tampa to Daytona. But we're in nine states, uh, operate through a number of JOAs, uh, and are about a $12 billion company. So a large integrated health system, really uh, looking to impact the health care of the communities we serve uh, by extending the healing ministry of Christ. That statement that the purpose of this project, again, launched and initiated by the, the senior leadership to disrupt its legacy provider business model with consumer-driven innovation. So right off of that, I have to ask the question, why did your leadership think uh, it was imperative to disrupt your fundamental provider business model? What's wrong with the model? And second, what problem in healthcare delivery are you trying to solve for? Yeah, so when the project kicked off, there are a lot of market forces at play. And this was launched out of our Central Florida division, which is our most mature network. You know, we've got uh, 40 plus percent market share, at least from an inpatient perspective in this market. We're the, we're the dominant player. Um, but really looking at just how consumerism is impacting choices in the marketplace, a lot of uh, demands of large single site employers. So we, you know, in Central Florida, I have partners uh, like the Walt Disney Company, you know, other large single site employers that have large needs uh, uh, of their teams really want a different experience uh, and want to reduce the cost of care for those team members. You know, also in Central Florida, you still have some uh, managed care dynamics that I think you don't see in a lot of other markets. So there's still a lot of capital coming to this marketplace. You have a lot of state laws changing, so a lot of growth in freestanding ERs and different types of assets uh, just, just due to regulatory changes. So just a lot of market forces that compelled us to want to take a different look. Uh, and the mandate really uh, that I was given at the time was we want to start to change the experience of care uh, really with an understanding and knowing that turning the, turning the ship um, and some of the structural change that we need to make to become a consumer-focused clinical company will take some time. And so how can we start to innovate around the consumer? How can we change the experience of care? How can we create a better experience, better access, more personalization while we're really working to change you know, core components of our structure um, that really improve the way we deliver care? How much fee-for-service in the general environment there is there versus managed care, if, you know, like Medicare Advantage? Is, is it still a fee-for-service environment there largely, or is it an emerging? So it's, it's changing. I mean, I think there, that's a really interesting question. Uh, you know, CMS, there's a lot of pilot programs that are being targeted at Florida uh, and, you know, the Miami, Tampa, and Orlando markets. So you do see uh, managed business growing, but there's still a fair amount of fee-for-service Medicare business in the Central Florida market. Like the rest of the country, you're still largely in fee-for-service. And so this wasn't, you know, you're not like a Kaiser where you're in some sort of capitated environment. This is a huge thing to intentionally, explicitly disrupt your own business model and invest in it so heavily. What, what was the leadership team concerned about? I mean, is it's clearly, it sounds like a competitive environment. You're in the Southeast, uh, you're in Florida. There's a, you know, I think there's a, a lot of competition in this environment in the Southeast in particular, but elsewhere in the country as well. But what was driving it? Was, were they concerned that they were going to miss the boat? They weren't going to be competitive in the future? What was the sort of core concern there or core opportunity that leadership saw? Some of the motivation also uh was competition from um, 
out of market or uh, new competitors, I would say. So I think when you look at the companies that are starting to innovate in the healthcare space, coming out of category, you know, whether it's big names like Amazon or uh, the overtures of Walmart and things that they're trying to do in primary care and other spaces, um, most of these organizations, uh, or they, they have a, a capacity to incubate projects uh, and scale them rapidly. And so a lot of the inspiration was, you know, we need a group that can focus and think about creating those new business models, creating those, those new products and experiences and not be bogged down by uh, the way the system operates today. So whether it's, uh, uh, you know, just, you know, so my team, um, we didn't uh, have to sit within the same corporate structure. So meetings, we were fully dedicated, uh, our own team in our own space, working on our, 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 uh, on our work and, and, and development. Um, without having to be just caught up in, in honestly, the swirl of the system. Um, and that was incredibly beneficial. And that was a big driver. You're looking at the competition and it's not the hospital across the street. It's, it's really, you know, as you're saying, these new entrants, some of them quite significant and large and well-funded, uh, like the Amazons, like the CVSs, like the Walmarts. Uh, increasingly others are getting to game and then hundreds if not thousands of other new entrants. And of course you got the payers and all the vertical integration going. And what you're seeing in the market, I think what you're saying is that these folks have a lot of experience in retail and in consumer orientation. So they have that background, they have that expertise on top of that, they have the ability, they, they've got dedicated teams rapidly uh, creating new projects and, you know, R and D innovation, those sorts of things. And, it seemed like there was a gap there and you were trying to fill that gap. Your leadership was trying to fill that gap by this project fulcrum, as you say, creating a dedicated team. So they're not going to the, the regular day job and then somewhere in between uh, or on weekends, they're doing innovation and R and D or, you know, or some small, you know, crew, two or three or five people doing it. You wanted a dedicated team doing this full time uninterrupted with a, an extreme consumer orientation, developing new product services rapidly because that's what you're seeing happening in the market. Is that a fair summary? That is correct. I mean, I think um, uh, a lot of times we face uh, the, the current budget year and that becomes the constraint of, the, of innovation. And so the leadership team really wanted that remote. We've got to span budget years. We have to think very differently about how we're approaching this. And the challenges of today uh, can't prevent us from thinking through and designing uh, the success of the future. I've heard about this. I had the chance to talk to your CEO. Uh, actually, just when this project was kicking off, we had a phone conversation, and that was the last time I really heard anything about this three years ago. You were just mentioning this notion of being uh, isolated, being uh, removed, being cocooned, not having any responsibilities or accountability to anyone outside of you and this group. And also the notion that so much of innovation across the country still is embedded within organizations in a somewhat traditional hierarchical way, um, very connected to the mainstream of operations. You all made a decision that that wasn't the way you were going to do it. You were going to completely remove this. And when I was talking to your CEO three years ago, I mean, he painted a picture where literally, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but the, what I remember of the conversation was you all, he assigned the best and brightest and, and you were you know, obviously chosen uh, for that reason. Uh, the best and brightest, the A-team, took you completely offline. I mean, people couldn't talk to you. People couldn't call you. You were not going to meetings. You were in a bunker somewhere. You were just cocooned and separated so you can do this work. That is 
unusual, and at least in my understanding experience, you know, again, just could you iterate if that is true and then why? Yeah, I would say very counterculture, even to the way our organization works. And the reason why was really, I think, twofold uh, to create the, the, the freedom uh, to do the development we needed, but also just an understanding, I think, from our teams that sometimes we can create our own internal barriers. You know, that extended honestly beyond us uh, having our own space and just, you know, being able to work unencumbered, uh, but also freedom created really to help cut through barriers in terms of maybe the way we were approaching things or would typically hire people from an HR perspective because we we're hiring individuals that don't have traditional healthcare backgrounds or advancing things with our legal team a little faster than typically they work. So uh, yeah, the, the freedom was great uh, in terms of where and how we worked, um, but also there was a commitment from the leadership team around core support areas that we need to move the ball and to really advance our work. And so it extended beyond just the space to support areas that really uh, helped us uh, rapidly move forward. You talk about hiring people from retail, hiring people from brand experience, hiring people from banking. Why did you bring those people who, who are outside of healthcare? And I, I imagine you have people within healthcare as well, but why bring those outside perspectives in what were you hoping and expecting and what have you seen as a result of that actually i'm very interested in your now three-year experience hiring those outside people what do you think the bang for the buck was and i'm really interested as well in i'm getting the feeling you created a different culture there and i'd love to know if that's true or not and how was the culture different if it was yeah the, the benefit really uh, just is perspective i mean i think the best, uh, most productive teams uh, are ones that have a diversity um, about them uh, across a number of spectrums. And experience is absolutely one of those. For a lot of the work, uh, I was really the healthcare guy in the room, uh, quote unquote, which was nice um, because uh, I'm a lifelong learner and uh, tremendous learning experience for me to sit alongside uh, individuals that have worked with some of the best brands uh, in the country. Or, you know, we've got a few people on our team that have spent a number of years uh, with the Walt Disney Company and really what they can bring to the table in terms of how a company like that thinks about uh, the customer and the experiences that have to be created. So, you know, it really has created a place where best ideas win, where, where we can just really bring different perspectives to the table to really impact the work. And that spanned from, you know, team members that we hired to honestly, what I'd call a blue ribbon advisor, strategic advisory board that we stood up to really help critique and vet a lot of the solutions that we came up with and, and products that we actually launched. And do you think the culture that you've developed there is different than the main culture at Advent Health? So, you know, the culture that I've created and that our team has formed I believe is one of uh, really complete accountability. The amount of time that we spent gaining empathy and really understanding the challenges of our consumers really plays now through our team. And I think in the level of ownership uh, that we take for solving problems, big or small. And that has gone from uh, you know, not just development, but to action as we've got products that, have, that are launched and my team now operates uh, a couple of those. And uh, there's just an accountability for every problem and challenge. 
that I think is very unique and is something that we are working in partnership with our teams now as we infuse these back into our organization to really drive that same level of accountability for every consumer challenge that comes our way. And that's super important. You mentioned the word empathy before, and all of us talk about being patient-centered. And now people are you know, adopting the word consumer-oriented. It seems to me it's a bit buzzy, and I'm not really sure, quite honestly, if we are actually patient-centered or consumer-oriented most of the time. I think we just use those words. I'm curious what you think of that and how, when you use the word empathy, how is is how you've used it, manifested it, uh, as you say, created accountability about how is that different than, you know, legacy traditional healthcare organizations? So I think for my team, when we think about the word empathy, one of the words that you'll hear my team use is relentless support. And um, I think if we're honest with ourselves, those that live, that, you know, that work in healthcare or spent our lives in healthcare, there's tremendous care we provide, but there are situations that we can pick out in our systems and in our care structures that are not relentless on behalf of the consumer. And I think the vulnerability with which, you know, folks come to the table with, with their diseases and their illnesses and their challenges, one of the best ways that we can show empathy is by being relentless and helping them to address and solve their challenges with them, not to them, but with them. And that is a core piece of how we operate and, and we work to solve challenges. The other thing that I would mention is, you know, our early hypothesis when we started our work um, after we'd done uh, a, a lot of testing was that the role that we could play was to help alleviate the mental burden uh, of those we serve. And that's a really big statement. In pulling a lot of this together with some of our design partners, you know, we often go down the path of asking, well, what does the consumer want? And I think that's only one half of the equation. The other half of that is, uh, what is the role that they actually want you to play? And so for us, we determined in our work, and that was one of our design filters, uh, whatever we do, we need to help alleviate the mental burden of the consumer. And that became a thread as we developed, uh, you know, further and further in terms of how do, how do we actually bring that to life and make that happen? And so that frames up uh, what empathy means for us. You know, how, how can we be relentless? What does that require of us? And then if, our, if the role that, you know, that we've identified and validated is that, you know, our role is to help alleviate the mental burden of the consumer again, what does that drive in what we build? And how should that look and feel to someone experiencing it? I don't know how much we ask ourselves, what role do the consumers want us to play? Could you give like an example of that? Like, what does that mean? that question or what, how does it play out? So the way that, uh, you know, role impacted us and, uh, you know, I know we'll talk a little bit more about this later. So we developed a product that feels, I would say very much like concierge care. It's very easy to, I think, let's say even in a setting of concierge care, potentially still create a program or still have services that are really focused about, you know, focused on, uh, the provider, that team, just doing things for the consumer. And a lot of work that we did, uh, uh, really the, 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 the population that we tested a lot of or validated a lot of our concepts on were who we called high impact chronics. 
So uh, in the healthcare space, we think about chronic disease illness as, you know, those core DRG groups, uh, you know, your Medicare patients that are chronically ill, frequent flyers. That's not how we defined it. So we, we had a, what we call, it really was a self-identified population. So asking consumers what they felt were chronic conditions. And there were interesting things that showed up. Back pain, um, gastric conditions, things that prevent people from really living their life on a day-to-day basis as they choose. So it's really interesting for someone who's got gastric issues and can't go out to eat at restaurants with their families, they feel that that's a chronic condition and that's very real. Or uh, someone that's got debilitating back pain uh, and um, really wants to walk uh, his daughter down the aisle. Those patients don't show up in the cohort when we think about chronic condition but their lives are being impacted on a daily basis. And the, the, the mental stress that builds over time related to these types of conditions that people have can become debilitating. And so when we studied this group, and that's a really wide group, uh, you know, the, the, the cohort range where we were testing was people 35 to 55. You know, we kind of saw this almost also as an inflection point in health. You know, if you can help people win at that point in their life, there's certain factors. You've probably got younger children in the home. You're probably moving into a higher uh, stress level uh, from a job perspective. You may have an aging parent. You know, we were really designing for how could we help people win in that segment? And what we learned is that they didn't want things done to them. They wanted support to do the things that they wanted to do or, or to access care and to be healthy. And so that's really what that, uh, what that statement means. Role, role is coming alongside. Rolling, the role is supporting. Uh, the role is championing. The role is removing barriers. And, you know, we learned a ton from that group that ultimately helped us build a solution that we felt would work for a broad base of consumers. Wow, that is so amazing and so different in the approach and the thinking and so human. The term high impact, the high impact meaning what? That you know you can make a difference in their lives? Is that the impact you're talking about? Or so, yeah, high impact being the impact on daily life. So, you know, our our view of life, you know, uh, from a development perspective was if you can't make it through your day, if you are having challenges living life on a daily basis. And so this becomes very broad because when you think about mental disease and illness that people struggle with and how that can be debilitating, as I mentioned, or gastric issues, or, you know, there's, there are so many things that I think we overlook and that end up causing, you know, I would say downstream challenges. You know, we encountered a lot of situations in interviewing people that had these conditions, Uh, people who didn't think their condition was uh, quote unquote important enough to maybe talk to their doctor about or to seek follow-up care regarding, who continued uh, to essentially their conditions to destabilize over time because they didn't seek care. And I think that's a function of the, of the prioritization we have in the system. Clearly there, there are others who have acute health challenges, but uh, you know, I think for us with a mission of delivering whole person care, um, it's really important that we support individuals uh, through points in their life like this. So, uh, you know, as they reach these inflection points, we can help them stabilize where they are or help them improve their care. Um, We know 
from looking at data that 10, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years later, these conditions multiply and people being sedentary because they're not able to maybe address health challenges, be active, uh, so on and so forth, that causes challenges later down the line. So, you know, for us, it wasn't that we weren't going to focus on, let's say, an older cohort or a traditional chronic disease cohort, but we just saw such a, a unique opportunity to partner with those individuals in their care. Tell us about what you actually have created over the past three years. What is it and, and how are you deploying it? Yeah. So we uh, created a service that we call Care Advocacy. You know, we went through uh, many iterations, as you would imagine, a large health system in terms of what would it look like and how would we deploy it? Um, I would say that COVID forced our hand a little bit. Uh, and uh, I mean, really, the, the, the need to communicate um, and connect with consumers um, in a really meaningful way during that period uh, really drove us to accelerate some of our, our plans. So we have launched uh, two versions of care advocacy. So one is what we call an unassigned version um, and is essentially just uh, what you would find from, uh, you know, a lot of organizations, it's just a live chat capability. So, you know, in the web environment or, or in our app, um, you don't have to be logged in. You can connect with someone, um, the, the first available care advocate who will help navigate you through uh, any needs you have with our system. That individual is limited, obviously, because they don't have any information on, on that consumer. But again, we try to do our best uh, and drive really 98% resolution of issues for consumers who have questions, concerns, um, anything related to accessing our system. So that's one. The other version that we have is really what we took a lot of time developing. Um, and so we have what's called an assigned care advocacy model, where essentially a consumer that has a primary care provider that's part of our employed admin health medical group. So once they have a provider and they have an account, essentially an authenticated environment, we, uh, our advocates, uh, now essentially uh, become a partner with that consumer and their practice. Um, and so we're using a paradigm that we just call care through conversation. What we have done, just honestly from a technical perspective, is taken uh, the inbox that's traditionally kind of an email focused throw over the wall tool uh, that's part of all of our EMRs and uh, pointed all of that information, uh, the communication uh, to the care advocate. So now a consumer has an individual who is assigned to them um, who can help them with all their care, uh, who was partnering with their provider in their practice uh, for any need that that consumer has. And that's not, so the practice is a linchpin in terms of a connection point. Uh, of a patient, but also assisting uh, a, a, an individual through any other health needs they have with our system. Essentially, it's a person that's assigned to the healthcare consumer as their care advocate. It is. It is. Yeah. So yeah. So so they, there is a live person uh, that is available. Um, we're not. Uh, you know, I think at some point we may look at what are opportunity look at opportunities for automation, but. Um, you know, one of the things that we studied in our work was the benefits and downsides of, uh, you know, chatbots versus humans. And while there's a role for, um, you know, automated tools and messaging, there is a lot of value, a tremendous value in the conversations of real humans. Um, whether you think about, again, 
and it's something that someone may need from a practice um, and just the back and forth nature of uh, a nuanced communication uh, that someone who doesn't understand maybe healthcare jargon or how to ask for something and again, how a real person can stand in the gap um, and, and synthesize their request uh, to ensure that that individual can get what they wanted or what they need as quickly as possible. Um, the other thing that I would just, uh, uh, that, that's been really interesting for us is leveraging the paradigm of communication and messaging um, and uh, to understand. Uh, and, and so we run topic classification on all of our communication and it's really powerful because we, we have real time understanding of where gaps are the type of information people need. This was extremely helpful during, uh, well, during, we're still in a pandemic, <laughs> you know, since March, because we are seeing, you know, when we run a vaccine event uh, or, uh, you know, when we were doing mass COVID testing in the spring, you know, people still have challenges understanding where to go, how to access things. Um, and we can really start to understand in certain geographies with certain practices, certain types of questions, what are people asking for? Uh, there's a lot we've been able to learn about um, consumers just understanding sentiment and tone by running NLP over the top of messaging. Um, we have a 30% uh, active user rate for the, this beta population. There's about 60,000 consumers that are on the platform right now. Um, we launched this in November. Um, really, uh, you know, really interesting to use conversation as a medium to drive value. Um, when I think the, the, the kind of the paradigm of communication with a practice or a health system traditionally has really just only been task focused. Someone needs something, they send in a request, it gets fulfilled. Who knows maybe when it gets fulfilled, but there really hasn't, uh, have, we hadn't seen, you know, communication leveraged in that manner to really drive value uh, for those who we serve. And that's really what we've done. What can these advocates, what are they, who are they? How are they trained? What is the scope of what they can talk about and how are they connected to the providers? Really good question. So um, our advocates are non-clinical. Um, you know, uh, so kind of going back to simplicity, um, we have worked to build a system that can help us hire people who can lead with empathy. That's like number one. If we don't think that someone can be empathetic uh, in their approach, then they're not a fit. And uh, the second really is just, uh, I think, digital dexterity. Um, you know, what is their ability to work um, in what can be, uh, what I would say, an emotional environment. I mean, when you have consumers who are sharing, uh, not just asking you to, to fulfill tasks, but are sharing their health and their life, and we're providing ongoing guidance and support, th there's a you know, the, the empathy side is very important. Being able to work in the digital environment important, is very important. But then, but then also just the, the, the mental, you know, flexibility to work in that environment. Um, so what we found through our testing over time is that, you know, 90% of the information uh, or, or the, the, the conversation and the communication does not require any type of medical intervention. Um, but what we do have is a very experienced uh, nursing team that sits over the top of that group. So any clinical request, any specific uh, medical question or need clinical question, prescription question that comes up, that gets routed through a clinical team. 
that's able to address that directly with the practice. So we've created a paradigm where we can partner our consumers with uh, a live person that can really help address the majority of their challenges. Uh, a clinical team that sits over the top that can address any of the medical issues and then drive those back to the practice because there are some things that need to be put into the medical record. There are patient cases that need to be created around certain topics or needs. You know, one of the great values that we found, again, just care through conversation is, uh, I mean, and this isn't rocket science, it's simply doing pre-visit summaries for all, all, all the consumers. So how do you connect with someone three days before a visit and really notate all of the challenges or issues that they're having and pull those forward for their provider? I mean, that's not new, but that's not happening in, you know, every place, every time. Those are the types of things that we'd want to do. It, it drives amazing value for consumers to be able to get out all of the things that they potentially could forget or may be embarrassed to talk about. So that's really the role that the advocate uh, is playing. They're, they're, they're really playing the role of, of facilitator and partner to help ensure that, that that individual can get the best care. I think that pre-visit summary is fantastic because it offloads the time when a patient does come to the visit. It, it now, instead of trying to do that then, you've taken that time out of the visit so the visit could be more focused and more effective and more value-laden. You know, one of the things you wrote about, Nick, in our back and forth uh, emailing and our correspondence, you know, you, you said you initially you thought this was going to be large impact things, but then you were finding out it, consumers really needed things like you were saying before, uh, you know, removing barriers, championing, just support things like medication refills, modifying appointments, referrals, just orchestrating the experience. So again, these, these don't require medical knowledge per se. They just, you know, require, as you say, someone who can help them get through the system. Is that, is that, am I getting the picture there? Or is there more to it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that we knew would happen with the launch of care advocacy is that we would put pressure on systems and structures that exist today. So we all knew that going in, and that's been a great thing. But a lot of this boils down to orchestration. And, um, you know, health systems are not built inherently. Um, you know, we can fulfill, you know, some of these tasks. Um, but our systems and structures are not built around those things happening every place, every time, you know, every consumer. And so, yeah, simple things like uh, consumers getting medication refills uh, or, you know, just the dynamic nature of sometimes needing to get things scheduled between different specialists and what, what schedules are open and appointment slots. I mean, these are things that I think sometimes we take for granted, but cause some of the most friction for consumers and then really delay care. And so, you know, our advocates are playing a two uh, playing a two phased role. A, they're helping to ensure that those things are done in rapid fashion for every consumer that they interact with. But B, now we really have data around how long those things are taking and where those challenges are, so we can go fix them. And we always we knew that we were going to find pain points and they'd be identified. And the program is really building a product pipeline for us to say like, here are the here are the product and operational things that have to be fixed. And a lot of times I think we think it's about the EMR, you know, Epic can do this or Cerna can do this or Athena can do this. And they're not always the most beautiful orchestrated solutions in terms of the workflow then that has to support even, uh, you know, those features that may be there. So it's really forced us to take a second look about how are we orchestrating? And then ultimately, what are the kind of experience guarantees that we can put in front of consumers in terms of really a promise of how long something should take uh, and a promise to do certain things within certain periods of time so they can have really a systematic um, 
experience wherever they go within our network and know uh, that they're going to get the care that, that, that we're promising for them. Can do the advocates get into sort of life situation? Are, are they trained to talk about emotional issues, or is it literally just like a layperson to layperson? Is it that level? And they need referral. Do they? You know, if I called in, I'm speaking to my advocate, and they think I need behavioral health or I need a nurse. Is that like literally a warm handoff, or how does that work? Yeah, we are absolutely handing those things off. You know, but there are uh, the situations are varied. So. It, all manner of what you've just mentioned they encounter you know one of the when when we were at 100 patients and just had one advocate and we were testing um, early on these are this is one of the themes that emerged and um, something that we're still grappling with and I think the health system is grappling with particularly through covid with just the sheer um, just I would say how tired so many healthcare workers are because of the strain and stress of what they've been dealing with. So just kind of circling back to our work, we are thinking about what our advocates are taking on. And so to advocate for someone and to have empathy for someone's situation, you're really accepting their challenges as your own. And so, you know, we have talked with um, some of our internal teams and the behavioral space and others to understand even what training do we need to have um, we created a survey that we've run, uh, you know, through our advocates to understand where they are from a mental capacity perspective, because supporting someone else is not. Easy. And so we want to be able to recognize those things because we want our team members uh, to be prepared mentally and emotionally for their work. But also, you know, there's a number of initiatives that we've launched in our, in our company around behavioral health, and we're trying to tie into those and ensure that people can get to the right place for the right services uh, that, that, that they need. I imagine you have a training program for the advocates. We do. We do. Um, you know, there's a lot that we created uh, that was net new, again, because the type of role um, and the way in which they work did not exist. Um, and so there's extensive training and retraining uh, that we're doing really on a biweekly basis with that team. I mean, as we're really still, uh, you know, what, what we're kind of calling in a beta phase, you know, we launched in November, kind of officially within our flagship app um, and have grown to 60,000 users uh, as of today. Um, and, you know, as you're scaling any capability, um, there's always rapid change, whether it's technology or operations and workflows. And so there's, there's a tremendous uh, amount of, uh, of, of training that we're having to do, but it's, it's, it's helping us learn every day and creating a better, better product for customers we serve. Uh, metrics and outcomes. What couple of uh, things you've measured and outcomes you've seen as a result of this? Yeah. So, you know, when we started, um, you know, when we talked at the top, our goal was experience. And the view of life has always been, uh, you know, if we can gain trust of consumers, if they will allow us to ride along with them, we think that that's the pathway to health outcomes. So the first uh, really set of, uh, uh, you know, drivers that we're looking at are really behavioral in nature. Um, you know, what are we seeing from the consumers on the platform vis-a-vis, -vis, uh, uh, you know, non-enrolled uh, consumers? And so for one, we've seen a 30% reduction in no-show rate for that cohort, which is massive. And so that's, you know, one uh, thing that we're tracking. You know, another one of our early hypotheses is that, you know, we believed through engagement and kind of that trust building that we would also see an increase in the use of system services. So 
you know, step two is, can we ensure or, or do we understand if that's the efficient use of the right services at the right time? Because we don't want to incentive, uh, we don't want to drive unnecessary care, but we're seeing folk who, uh, again, are using uh, care advocacy, but 2.9 times more telehealth visits than, you know, non-enrollees and about one and a half times more office visits. So there is, there is a behavioral profile we're seeing of consumers who are using their care advocates that is very different uh, from those who do not. And so this path of digital engagement uh, and care through conversation is something that we will continue to scale uh, through our organization and we believe will pay um, uh, tremendous benefit for both the system and how we operate, how we address issues for consumers, but also for, for the patients who are using them, who are finding value. I want to thank you, Nick Archer, and, and the folks at Project Fulcrum and Advent Health for just really amazing work. Uh, I'd I love, Nick, the opportunity to, to follow up with you again sometime soon. It's been a pleasure. I thank you for the opportunity to come on uh, and would love to do it again. Thank you very much, Nick. And as I do every episode, I do conclude by thanking all of you out there who are doing the hard work each and every day of taking care of patients or, or those of you who are supporting those who are taking care of patients. I and we truly appreciate you for what you do and recognize how critically important your work is to individuals, families, communities, and our society. This is Zeb Newworth on creating a new healthcare. My friends, until next time, be safe and be well.